Amen. Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study, the book of James. And as always, what's the tagline? That's right. For those of you hooked on reading, how to spot a what? A phony Christian. What? Are you serious? Is that a reality? Yes, it is. In fact, the book of James we've been seeing is not the only book in the Bible that deals with this unfortunate reality. It's actually all over the place. These fakers are mentioned all over the scripture, especially in the New Testament. We've been seeing the good news is God doesn't just tell us about this unfortunate reality. He tells us how to spot them so that we could deal with them so that we can keep the church pure and on track. Unfortunately, we've been seeing that's not what's happening today. Okay, And now these fakers are not just, if you will, planted in the pews with us, they've now moved into the pulpit and fakers are now running the church, which I'm convinced is a huge reason why that the church is going into what the Bible warned about in the last days, apostasy. Because these aren't Christians, folks. And again, I'm not going to belabor our first part of our study. We saw so much evidence of that. These guys admit they're not real and, uh, and, and they're running the church, okay? But again, we're going like, how could this be? How could the church get into this? Because we're not studying the scripture. We're not taking the scripture serious. We're certainly not being Bereans, holding the biblical standard, including the book of James, that tells us how to spot them so we can deal with them. We need to be more concerned about spiritual truth and spiritual growth than numerical growth. But a lot of churches don't matter. As long as you fill those pews, who, who cares who you are? And unfortunately, that's led to the mess that we're in today. But we're going to continue in our journey. How do you spot them? Well, open your books, the Bibles, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And let's continue in that journey, how to spot a phony Christian. And again, we're going to take a look at the first acid test, and we're going to continue to build on that uh, today. But let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let's take a look at what he says. First of all, he says who? James or what? A servant of God. And of who? the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Again, as we saw, the early church at this time that was made up of Jewish uh, people who became Christians. He says, greetings. And then right out of the gates, here you go. Consider pure joy, my brothers, when life always goes your way. No, when you face what? What's the word there? Trials, only one, maybe two, until you get to heaven. No, what's he say? Poiki loss. Remember poiki loss? How many guys all week were going like, poiki loss? I love that word, just like Pastor Billy. Boy, I can't get it off my brain. Apparently, that was just me. But poikilos mean many trials, right? Various kinds, all kinds. He says, consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever, not if, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your... What's that word? Testing. Why would you need to test it? Are you real? Are you not? How many guys would say, if you were sitting there in the pew, and you really weren't a Christian... Anybody ever go to a church service before you got saved? Well, guess what? If you were to die right then, even though you were in a church service, where would you go? Straight to hell. Don't you think it would be a good thing to know if you were in that state of danger? Yeah, tests. Tests aren't bad. And so he says this. He says, because you know the testing of your what? Your faith, here's a good thing, develops what? Perseverance. Verse 4. And perseverance must, it's imperative, must finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. You may be seated again if you can. Now let's hone in on verses two and three, and I'll explain why we're camping here for a while. It says there, verse two and three, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So let's Greek out a little bit outside of poiki loss. And here's what it literally says. Consider it a matter, I love this, of unadulterated joy without any mixture of sorrow. When what? Whenever you fall into the midst of variegated trials which surround you. Why? 
because you are knowing experientially that the approving of your faith and that faith having been put to the test for the purposes of being approved and having met the test has been approved. Here's the payoff that this approving process produces what? A, listen, a patience, this is basically the translation of perseverance, a patience which bears up and does not lose heart or courage under trials. Now, how many guys would say that's, that would be a good thing to have? Well, again, turn to somebody and say, bring on the trials. Because that's what James is saying. That's, that's just one of the good things that you're going to get when God puts you through that. Okay, And again, we've been seeing chronologically, James is actually the first book chronologically written in the New Testament. Why? Because Satan's got an evil plan, and God apparently used James uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to stave off Satan's evil plan. Satan could not stop Jesus from going to the cross for our redemption. He could not uh, stop Jesus from rising again from the grave, proving he was the Messiah, the acceptable sacrifice for our sins. Amen. He couldn't stop the birth of the church. And praise God, when you get saved, he can't take away your salvation. Anybody glad about that? But Satan is a uh, defeated foe. Colossians clearly talks about that, that Jesus whooped him on the cross. He's, awaiting, he's on death row awaiting his final sentence in the lake of fire, but he's so stinking evil, he's seen how many people he could trick and dupe to join him into the lake of fire. Well, how's he doing that? Ever since the birth of the church, even though he lost, he's so stinking evil, and this is what we've been seeing in the pattern of the New Testament. He has seen how many false teachers, false prophets, false apostles, and as Paul even said, false brothers, what's that? A faker Christian that he could plant in the church so that when the loss comes in the midst, they'll get a false impression and a false gospel. And even though they're going to church services, they might have got Duncan Water, they've never turned to Christ. And they're going to join Satan one day in the lake of fire. So that's the context. The church is finally out there in this context, out there in the world, and the last thing you want is a bunch of bad examples, false impressions, false gospels going out. That's what Satan wants. But here comes the Holy Spirit via James, the first New Testament book, and he counteracts that, and he begins to give them an acid test. How do you know you might have some fakers in your midst? And the first thing he says there, as we just read, is what? Here's your first test. How do you do with trials? And it isn't just the test of can you make it through trials, because even lost people make it through trials. What's the connotation? Consider it pure what? Joy. Do you make it through your trials? Not afterwards, once you get it all figured out. No, no, no. It's during your trial that you have joy. Now, why would that be thrown out there as an acid test that you're probably dealing with a Christian if they got joy in the midst of their trial? Because number one, Christians, where do we get the name from? Jesus, Christ, Christian, follower of Christ. We follow his example. Jesus endured the cross. That was a trial, it was suffering. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. And number two, we know biblically that when you're born again, when you get saved, at the moment of salvation, what happens? You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, who is not only, as Paul says, our uh, uh, seal guaranteeing our salvation, amen, that you're going to get there. In fact, it's the Greek word arabone. It means engagement ring. When you get saved, God gives you an engagement ring, the Spirit of God, guarantee you're going to get to heaven. Is that exciting or what? Okay, but it's not just our seal, the Holy Spirit. He what? He begins to produce his what? fruit. And what's the fruit of the spirit? Love. What's the second one? Joy. So this ability to have joy in the midst of your trial is really possible if you're what? A born again Christian. Got it? I didn't say it would always be perfect, but the propensity is there. And that's why if you don't ever have joy, and I mean ever have joy, let alone in the midst of your trial, there's only two theological possibilities. Number one, you're either a backsliding Christian right? And that happens sometimes as Christians, right? 
But God, he don't stay there forever because God loves you and he pulls you out. But that happens. Or maybe you're a baby Christian. How many of you guys ever had babies? Man, don't raise your hand. You didn't have a baby. What are you doing? We're going to have to have another, t- another sermon. And I didn't prepare for that. Stop that. That's a trial. Okay. No, but you had a baby, right? Well, babies, when they come out, man, they're just born. They're, the next day, they get a job. They're driving the car. No, it's the babies, right? And so what do you do? One of the first things you do, you slap one of those nifty devices on them called a what? Diaper. That's right, Pastor Bobby, a diaper. Why? Because babies make messes. Right? And as Christians, we're babies. We start out, you know, you're, as babes in Christ, you know, crave the pure milk of the word of God. You're, you're a baby. But you don't stay a baby. You grow in a process of maturity, right? But my point is, when you first get saved, you might be a baby Christian. And babies make messes. And that's why we need each other as a church. We come around each other. We encourage one another. And, and you help clean up some messes. And you line up to God's word. And you stop making as many messes. Do you see what I'm saying? So if you never have joy, it's either theologically, you're backsliding, which is not good. You're a baby Christian and you need to grow. And praise God you're still saved because we're not saved by our works. Or, see, this is the scary thing. And I don't know the heart. Only God does. But is this something you want to flirt with? Maybe the reason why you never have joy, let alone joy in your trials, is because you're really not saved. You don't have the ability because you don't have the Spirit of God. And Paul says, Romans chapter 8, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. I didn't say that God did. Have you ever ran into those people who profess to be Christians and it's like, I'm a Christian. <laughs> Seriously, have you done that? Oh, they can quote scripture all day long. But, uh, some of the meanest, nastiest people. What is wrong with you? And we laugh about that because what is so true? But here's what's scary. You can go to church service your whole life and still end up in hell. Because you've never truly trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you have, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying perfectly. Because there is no perfect Christian, myself included. But come on, there's got to be some fruit somewhere, including joy, right? And so that's what James says. And the reason why is because, again, the enemy's coming in, and he's wanting to flood the church with these fakers. So the lost will join him in in hell because they get a false gospel, a false impression of Jesus Christ. And again, uh, uh, James says that you need to consider it pure joy. Why? Because God always is doing something fantastic. He's always on the, if you're a born again Christian, nothing happens by chance. He's always got a good reason. I didn't say it. He did. Romans 8, 28. I will work how many? All things together for good. And James gives us one of them, the gift of perseverance, that, that you have that ability by the spirit of God, listen, that you will be able to be a complete, mature Christian lacking nothing. Isn't that awesome? But again, poikilos means poikilos. There's going to be a lot of great reasons that are going to happen. And that's what James says. You need to think forward. Remember that? Consider, think forward to these good things. And you know, gnosko, experiential knowledge, not head knowledge, you know experientially how many times has God got to bring you through your trial? And sure enough, you come out on top, right? In fact, how many guys ever gone through a trial? Raise your hand. The rest of you are lying, right? Because we've all gone through trials, right? Don't create another trial right here live, right? But did, he, did God bring you through that? Of course. What about that other trial that came the next week after that one? Did he bring you through that? Yeah. Did he do a good thing with that? Yeah. How about the other 500? Yeah. What about the one you're dealing with today? Oh, no, this one is just, he's, his hands are tied. No, you know experientially, he brought me through that one, this one, this one, this one. However many I got, I can consider it pure joy because I'm always going to come out on top because God loves me and he's going to do something fantastic with it. And yeah, it's great news. The problem is these fakers, I'm convinced, folks, these fakers in the church today 
They're out there giving the exact opposite message. That's an encouraging message. That's straight up Bible we just clapped about, which you should clap about. The fakers are saying what? The exact opposite. Come to Jesus, join this church, and what? You'll have perfect wealth, perfect health. You guaranteed a Cadillac and a nice house, 18 swimming pools. You liar, right? Come sow seed to my ministry. Or they'll say this. They'll pour salt on your wound. The reason why you're going through trials is because you don't have enough faith. You got some secret sin. And if you would just sow a seed to my ministry, you liar. And so the church is like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean I'm going to go through trials? And then what do you mean? I'm considerate pure joy. What are you, not? No, that's what James says. And I'll take that good news over those false teachers any day of the week. And that's why we've been camping on for a little bit verses two and three, because I'm telling you, it's a hard concept, not the world, I'm talking the church, to realize that we are not just going to go through trials, but God really does do good things through them. And it's awesome. And when you get that experientially, you know that you got joy. And again, it's not just for you. It's a what? It's a witness to the lost. Maybe that's what they're waiting for. Now, we've already seen outside of perseverance, that we've been taking a look. The Bible says, here's some good things that God does. He'll use trials to expose our sin nature, to keep us from becoming spiritually lazy, to cause us to be a blessing to other people. And then last time we saw to teach us, hello, that God is God and we are not, to make us more like Jesus and to keep us from wasting our lives. James later says that our life is what? A wisp of vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. Have you realized that yet? Have you guys woken up in the mirror and go like, what in the world happened to you? Man, I, in my brain, I'm still 20, but my body's telling me, no, you're not. Right? You're, it just, it's so fast. And this is the only time that God could use us to store up treasure in heaven. You don't get to witness in heaven. You don't get to store up treasure. It's only here. So don't get tricked into wasting your time that whisk the vapor that we could do something by God's spirit splendid for him. Amen? But poikilos means poikilos because I like that word. That's right. <laughs> The seventh good reason why God will allow trials, yes, to the Christian, is to make us more humble. Wouldn't it be great if you could just go to Walmart? And apparently it's always in that 13th aisle, right, Andy? And they sell them by the case. It's called a can of humility. And when you need it, you just pop it open and, and it works. We wish it does. God will produce humility in us through humiliating circumstances. Have you learned that one? And believe it or not, the Apostle Paul himself had to be humbled by God so that the work that God wanted to do with him didn't get messed up. I didn't say it. Paul did. Watch this. This is cool. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 9. Paul says this, to keep me from becoming what? Conceited. That never happens with Christians. Hey, now you know why I wear the baggy clothes, folks. I just don't want to, you know. That wasn't funny. No, to keep me to keep me from becoming conceited because of what these surpassingly great revelations. Now, if you know the context of what Paul's talking about here, uh, uh, the Bible is very clear that Paul was caught up to the third heaven. He not only had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. That's amazing, but but he was caught up to the third heaven. It's the Greek word urnas, okay, and it means heaven. Heaven is defined by the context of the because there's the, the heavens, the first heaven is where the birds fly. That would be the atmosphere. The second heaven in the Bible, Uranus, would be where the stars are. That's what? Space. Paul talks about a third heaven, or Uranus. That's the actual dwelling place of God the Father. So Paul not only had a Damascus face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ himself. Wow! But he was actually caught up into the third heaven, the actual dwelling place of God, heard things that he can't even repeat. And can you imagine Paul at a board meeting? What's that? 
Do you think that's what we should do as a church? <laughs> oh, no. I think you need to listen to what I got to say. Do I need to remind you guys? I saw Jesus face to face. Did you? What's that? Oh, no. No, you didn't. I did. What was it? Oh, oh, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got to bring this up again. I was actually in the actual presence of God the Father in the third heaven. How about the rest of you guys? (laughs) And you might want to look. Could you see how if it wasn't controlled, Paul with these, as he says, surpassingly great revelations could become conceited and ruin the work that God, do you see the context? Now let's see how God fixed it, right? To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me, listen, a thorn in my flesh, a what? A messenger of Satan. What's that? That's a demon to tickle me. Oh, I'm sorry, what? Torment me. You gotta be kidding me. And so, of course, you got a spiritual warfare issue. Paul said, man, I prayed. And he said, in fact, three times I plead with the Lord, please take it away. But God said, what? My what? Grace is sufficient for you. Because why? My power, God's power is made perfect in what? Weakness. When you're not arrogant, when you're humble, when you're dependent upon God, right? For my weakness is what? Made perfect there. And and therefore, Paul says, I get it now. I see what God was doing. He was keeping me from becoming conceited to ruin what God wanted to do. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses because when I'm in that state of humility and I admit I am weak, God is strong, it's all about him, not about me, I'm dependent upon God, what's the payoff? Christ's power may rest on me. You get it? And so here we see, this is wild. This isn't just a trial. Apparently, Paul had some big revelations that God had to do a big trial, and that was a demonic one. But that's right, God was just being, that's who he is. That's what the world says, right? God's just being mean. What kind of a God is that? He's what is he, an ogre? He just makes people go through suffering for no reason at all. He just puts them under the thumb and goes, mm, and just waits for them to pop. No, that's not the God of the Bible. And that's not what he was doing with Paul. God was actually protecting Paul from ruining the work that God wanted to do through Paul. Right? The amazing work that, uh, that we see that God wanted to do, okay? He was keeping Paul from becoming conceited. In other words, prideful. Why? Because if Paul became arrogant or prideful or conceited, he would ruin the work that God would do. Why? Because, listen, when you are in a state of humility, God's power flows. God's grace begins to flow, and through God's grace is the power of God. Do you get it? So it's the direct opposite. So when you're walking around conceited, arrogant, and prideful, even as a Christian, it short-circuits the grace of God. You do not have the power of God and you stay a weak and ineffective Christian, right? That's how it works. In fact, Peter says the same thing. He reiterates it here. 1 Peter 5, 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourself with what? Humility towards one another. Why? We've seen this before. Because listen, God what? Opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the who? The humble. In fact, we saw there the word there, oppose. Again, we've seen this several times before. It's actually a Greek word. It's a military term. And oppose means to, it's full battle array. It's like you got all the weapons at your disposal and every single one of them is pulled out and armed against what? God goes to full battle array against those who are what? You don't want to do that because God never loses. And certainly not when he's in full battle array mode. And yet, what is the number one celebrated virtue in our society today? Pride. Self-love. Even as Christians, and you wonder why it feels like there's constant opposition spiritually. 
because you're not doing the right thing. God gives grace to the who? The humble, right? So that's what we see here. God allowed Paul a demonic trial, and Paul finally got it, and he could rejoice in the midst of that because he knew that that was God's guarantee that Paul would never get conceited. Paul would stay in a state of weakness and humility that would put him in a position to continue to receive the grace of God so that God's power could flow through Paul. And aren't you glad that God only does that with Paul? Again, what's our society say? Me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. It's all about you. Life's all about you. Pride, 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 self-love, self-respect, self, 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 self. Which again, on our Wednesday night studies, that's the number one law of Satanism. And you wonder why. You got many Christians out there, powerless, weak, and ineffective. Because the very thing that God opposes in full battle array is how you were living. I'm not talking the lost. They don't know better. I'm talking the church. And so God wants to do great things. Isn't that awesome? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Never forget 10. Keep reading. 8, 9, you know, by grace through faith we're saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Then what's 10 say? Why did God save us that way? Because he wants to do these good works in us from the very beginning, right? He's prepared good works for us in advance to do. But guess what? You'll never get around to doing that good work. You won't be bearing fruit if you walk around arrogant, prideful, and conceited the whole time. So you know what God does? Oh, he's good. He loves us. You know what he does? He sends a trial. Custom tailored. He knew how to get Paul. Did you know he knows how to get you? He will send things your way to begin to produce humility. Remember we saw the, 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 the rough Greek word there for humble in the New Testament? It means to shave the top of the mountain off. Right? When you get a big head, God goes, oh, yeah. You get too big for your bridges. God. Have you ever had that happen to you? Oh, you just thought you were God's gift to the world. God, God needs me. Tell you what, he's lucky I got saved. And then you find out, you know what? I'm not as cool as I thought I was. <laughs> and it was a trial. God showed you, really, you think you're really hot. And, and, I, and there's no better way than to illustrate this through one encounter that I had. Notice I just said one, because there's been several. But I'll share with you, this is one time what God did with me, okay, to make sure I didn't get prideful, arrogant, conceited, because I was starting to head in that way. And this starts way back when the teaching ministry, Good Life Media, started. This is like back in 2001, believe it or not, uh, when my very first senior pastor in California, we launched the teaching ministry, and from the get-go, by God's grace, by his, he gets the credit, it just went nuts. And then about uh, four or five years later, I accepted another position in New York, right? And the te- they didn't know about the m- teaching ministry and all that stuff and whatever. And, but, you know, this has been going and God's doing this global outreach. It's exciting, whatever. And, and so I, I, I'm, I'm accepted the, the position there. And I just, Mr. Cool, hotshot West Coast guy, I couldn't wait to go to the East Coast and unleash it to the world what they just hired. <laughs> Nobody knew what they had on their hands. I was ready to unleash it on it. And boy, were they in for a surprise in more ways than one. So was I. I kid you not, it started, God saw that. He saw it before I even got there. And so we drove out literally from the West Coast all the way to the East Coast, crossed America. My family is in Kansas, so we dipped down to Kansas and visited my grandmother and, uh, and my dad there. And uh, it was, in fact, the first and only time that she ever got to see my son, Billy, back when he was a, a crumb snatcher stage. 
And, uh, and so we left. I get to New York. And while I was there in Kansas, I was talking with my grandmother for a couple of days. And she said, hey, you know, if, if, if I should die, you know, uh, would you do my funeral? I said, oh, okay, cool. Not knowing that two weeks later she was going to die. So we, we, we go, we get to New York. Sure enough, a week later, I get a phone call. Grandma died. And so I promised her I'd do her, her funeral. So I'm going back to Kansas, right? So I shell out this hefty plane ticket. I board a plane from uh, Buffalo to Kansas City. And uh, I was actually beaming with excitement. Number one, my grandma was a born-again Christian. I knew where she was at. But I was super stoked and excited because this was Kansas. This was my hometown. This was the town in southeast Kansas that back in the day, per capita, it's got more churches per capita per the population than anywhere in the United States. And I don't recall not one person ever telling me about Jesus. And so ever since I've been saved, man, I always wanted to go preach in my hometown. And now here comes the opportunity Mr. West Coast hotshot guy, I know I get to unleash this on the East Coast, but now in Kansas, <laughs> my head must have been massive. I'm surprised he even got on the plane. So anyway, so there I am. I'm going from Buffalo. Now, we had a layover in my, Minneapolis before I landed to KC, uh, the KCI airport, Kansas City there. And, uh, and then uh, to keep me from becoming conceited, here's how it started. Man, God knew exactly how to do it. I had that layover in, Kansas, in Minneapolis before I went to KC, and so I'm waiting for my uh, next plane to come along. And so I got a cup of coffee, right? And then I, I decided to get a little snack, you know, and, and I got a cookie. Now, I'm not a really big sweet guy, uh, you know, just maybe a couple bites or whatever. I'm, just, I'm good to go. And, uh, but I'm a guy. I'm in the airport. I'm killing time. You know what I do? I don't just get any cookie. I got this, uh, this Genesis 6 Nephilim cookie. <laughs> I'm not joking. It was like this plastic wrap, giant chocolate chip cookie about that big around. Very fitting for my head, about the same size, unbeknownst to me. But this thing was massive. And of course, I can't eat the whole thing, right? So I take it on the plane with me. Well, that plane happened to be a small commuter plane. Now, planes are cramped anyway as they are. But the, you ever get in those small commuter ones? Man, you're really squished in there, right? So I'm getting in there. And of course, I can't eat that giant Nephilim cookie, Right? The chocolate chip cookie, right? And so, there, it's so I, there's no place to stick it. It's so big. And so uh, I, I put it on the side here, right, with me. And, of course, I'm sitting there the whole flight from Minneapolis to Kansas City. And, I'm, you know, it's a cramped plane. I'm trying to get some sleep. And I, I'm just squirming here and this way. And I'm moving this way. And unbeknownst to me, I'm squishing that Nephilim giant chocolate chip cookie all over my light beige duckers. <laughs> Not black. Oh, no, I couldn't have worn those black ones. No. I couldn't wear the beige ones that I had. No, it had to be the light beige ones that day. So anyway, we land. I didn't know what was happening to me. I squished, apparently, that chocolate chip cookie all over the backside of my dockers. And, of course, the plane lands, and who's ready to unleash himself wherever he goes? Mr. West Coast hotshot guy, right? So I apparently... Proceeded to give the rest of the plane, because I got it first. I proceeded to give the rest of the plane a view of somebody who apparently looked like they had a bowel problem. (laughs) But I didn't know. And they're rushing me off the plane. I'm going, man, these guys are really friendly. (laughs) And I think it was, no, get off the plane, go to the bathroom, pal. Get out of here. Worse than the seat. (laughs) So I'm not done. I'm out of the airport. I'm ready to unleash. And I saw a lady, I get out of the airport, I'm on the ramp, right? And she gets off there, and they're waiting to get back on that plane, I'm getting off. And uh, this lady, she was reading the Da Vinci Code, right? You're, that book, that heretical book, whatever, Catholic thing, whatever. 
And so, of course, Mr. Hotshot Guy, done my research on that, I proceeded to give her my card to let her know that book is a bunch of baloney. If you ever need some help understand that, just give me a call. She never called me. She probably washed her hands when she was done talking. She probably burned that card. But I'm traipsing through the KCI International Airport, and I'm just doing my thing, right, showing a side of me I never wanted to share with people around there. I didn't know that stuff. And I'm going, man, these people are friendly. They're all smart. They're looking at me. I miss Kansas. So I'm traipsing. I get into the, into the shuttle. I get to the rental car place, right? And I get the guy, you know, the car, make the transit. He gives me the keys, whatever. And he's looking at me nervously. But of course, Mr. Hotshot, because that guy's got any questions too, I give him my card, whatever. And then he and another guy, they're like, they're kind of going back and forth. And go, they were probably arguing who's going to clean the seats when this guy's done, right? And he didn't call me either. Anyway, so I finally get to my dad's house, about a three-hour drive from KCI down to southeast Kansas there. And, and praise God, have you, isn't God good? He's, he's gracious to you. He uses us in spite of us. And in the midst of my disciplining procedure that I still hadn't learned yet, but it was in process, okay, uh, he, he, uh, he used this life. I was able to preach the funeral, and, and not only was it a great honor to finally do that, but people got saved, and it, it was just fantastic. So the next morning, because you know, it's just a quick trip, I had to get back to New York. I just accepted the position. So uh, I'm a guy, and so you know what I did? I didn't bring a change of clothes. So I had to wear the same outfit, right? But got enough head knowledge that you at least should iron them. So there I do. I put my, in the morning, uh, before I'm heading to the airport, I, I put my beige dockers up there and ironed away, and then I flipped it over. And to be honest with you, for a second there, I thought, man, maybe I do have a bowel problem. <laughs> and then I kid you not, all of a sudden, I was like, oh, that stupid Nephilim chocolate gift cookie. I'm squishing it all over. And then it dawns on me, oh, what apparently all Southeast Kansas was spying at. No! But I wasn't done. I was resisting God's disciplinary procedure. I'm a guy. What do we do? We come up with a plan. And here was my plan. I am not joking. As long as I was sitting down, I was cool. Nobody would know the secret of the pants. Sounds like an Indiana Jones movie, doesn't it? Indiana Jones and the secret of the pants, part five. Anyway, so... So, but the problem was when I get to the airport. Well, believe it or not, I go back, I drop off the rental car, and that same guy's there. Oh, and he's looking at me all weird, right? So I made it through that humiliating thing, because now I know what they were looking at and going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? And then so I get in the shuttle, I go back to the airport, and I'm going, oh, man, how am I going to make it to the airport? Because as long as I get seated on the plane, then I'm, I'm good, but I got to make it to the plane. So I'm, go- I'm, I'm not joking, I am not joking. Just a moment of transparency here. This was my plan. I am going to hug the walls. Remember, the goal is not to draw attention to yourself. I got in the airport, and I don't know how many gates I had to go all that way down. I'm walking. I'm a human crab man. With my backside to the wall, walking like this. Oh, no, don't look at me. All the way to the gate. So human crab man walks all the way like this. I make it to the gate. I'm going, yes, I made it. And then at that time, they did the, the, the inspection thing there at the gate. So I'm sitting there, and I'm noticing people are taking their shoes off. 
wait a second, in order to take your shoes off, <laughs> you got to bend over. Oh, I'm still resisting. Oh, yeah? Mr. Crab Man turned into Stork Man. I refused to bend over. And so I'm sitting there literally in line, going like this, trying not to fall over, get my stupid shoes off, so as to not draw attention. So I get home. I share this with my wife. And you know what she did? Yeah, she laughed just like you. Thank you very much. But here's the point. Is God being a big old meanie? No. That was just the beginning of the teaching ministry. And again, I say all this. I'm not saying this to, to boast, believe you me. I don't want any more Nephilim cookies. But this is why you hear me say, God gets the glory. Give God the glory. Isn't God good when compliments come this way? Because if there's anything good in this life, it's him, it's not me. If you see anything wrong in this life, it's my sin nature. To keep me from becoming conceited, God used Paul, a demonic torment. To keep me from becoming conceited when the teaching ministry was really beginning to take off, God used a Nephilim cookie. But see, the Bible's clear. He doesn't just want to use Paul. He doesn't just want to use this life. He wants to use you. But if you're not careful, you can become conceited, even in the things that God has called you to do. And so God loves us, and he wants to do that good work that he's preparing to advance. So you know what he'll do? He'll send a trial your way. Oh, Paul's was a demon. Mine was a cookie. I don't know what yours is, but it will be very effective. But is God being a meanie? No. Because he's keeping us in a state of weakness, humility, because that's when God's grace begins to flow. And it's God's grace that we need to be empowered by God to do great things for him. Isn't that awesome that he would love us enough to send a trial away to keep us from blowing his work? Isn't that awesome? That's just one good thing, right? The eighth one, this one's awesome, is to make us more joyful. Okay, kind of like this guy that I'm about to show you. Let me give you a little segue here. Now, I don't, I don't know what the language is. It might be French. I don't speak French other than French fry. That's about as far as it goes, right? And, uh, the, uh, but there, there, there is a, it's, a, it's a talk show. Let me set it up for you, talk show. And apparently, there's, it's kind of a serious discussion. These people were going through some sort of a trial or something. And then when the guy talks, the, the host of the show just loses it. Have you ever been in a position where you were supposed to be serious, but you had a really bad case of the giggles, and you just couldn't stop? Okay, well, that's what's going on here. Let's take a look at what this guy went through. Jij had een normaal leven daarvoor, en toen plots kom je uit narcose, en dan merk je dat het leven niet meer hetzelfde zal zijn. Hoe reageer je daar dan op? Ja, eerst met heel veel ongeloof. Ongeloof is eigenlijk het juiste woord. Ongeloof is eigenlijk het juiste woord wat lijken hier hanteert. Dat, dat was bij mij dus ook mijn eerste gewaarwording. Dat ik dacht, dat, dat kan niet. Dat, uh, dat mag dat... Excuseer. Excuseer. Excuseer, dames en heren. Dus, uh, je probeert dan terug uh, je toekomst... Ik begrijp echt niet sorry, wat er hier nu aan het gebeuren is. Excuseer, sorry, echt. echt sorry. Excuseer, dames en heren. Dat betekent ook dat je bijvoorbeeld uh, 
ja, seksualiteit uh, ook een uh, groot probleem bijvoorbeeld wordt. Ja, mijn vriend heeft het gewoon uh, gedaan gemaakt. En ik neem hem daar ook niet kwaad. Mm-hmm. Het feit, als je, als, je met, als, als je met seks omgaat, is het, is het niet alleen het fysieke dat telt, maar ook soms de, de lieve woordjes. Ja. like to have that level of joy wherever you went, you know what I'm saying? And again, I don't know what the problem was, apparently it's serious, and, and I'm not saying here the joy laughing at other people's challenges, that's not my point, but can you imagine having that level of joy, no matter what was going on in life, whether it's a trial, whether it's one high time, low time, good time, bad, whatever you want, and you still get, <laughs> and no matter what news people threw your way to try to get you off track uh, in your walk with Jesus Christ, just having a great day with him, right? Because that's typically what happens, you're having a great day and somebody says something, oh no, but can you imagine having that joy wherever you went? I mean, people, hey, haven't you heard the economy's going to crash up? <laughs> no, hey, that's not funny. What are you laughing at? I mean, we're all going to go bankrupt. We're doomed. <laughs> Can you imagine living like that as a Christian? Let's close in prayer. No. You, no. Here's the deal. Actually, you can if you do what Jesus says to do. Talk about a powerful witness. How many times we read through this? And we just blow through it. We don't understand what he's saying here. Acts 20, verse 35. Paul says this, And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of who? The Lord Jesus himself. And here's what he said. It is more what? Blessed to give than it is to what? To receive. As we've seen before, the word there in the Greek, blessed is makarios. And it means not just spiritually prosperous, that you're going to be spiritually prosperous in your walk with God, it's spiritually prosperous with joy. That you're growing spiritually, you're abounding with joy, it just won't stop. And here's the secret. He blows away the lie of this wicked world system. It's not having spiritually prosperous joy nonstop like that guy. (laughs) When it's all about you and getting whatever you want, it's about what? Giving your life away. Isn't that what Jesus did? Right? He blows it all away in one verse. And it sounds foreign today because we live in a society that declares the exact opposite of what Jesus says to do for a joyful life. And then we wonder why when you live opposite of what Jesus said, and it's all about what I can get, me, my, materialism, this, that, me, you're depressed. You're not happy. You don't have joy. Well, you're not doing what he says. You want joy? Give away your life. Give away your time, treasure, talents. Serve. Be like Jesus. And you could have that joy. We want our fast food. We want it faster. We want our fast cars. We want them even faster. We want our paychecks. We want them on demand. We want all the comforts of life, and we want it now. We are more consumed, and I'm talking even in the church, with receiving than giving away your life. And you wonder why we don't have this joy. Which, by the way, it's not about you. It's to being a positive witness. Now, let me give you a couple of examples. And one from a guy, one from, because we, we can all do it. And the first one was this guy. There was a very successful yuppie. He parked his brand new Lexus. Oh, yeah. In front of his office, ready to show it off to his colleagues, right? Woo-hoo. And, as, and as he got out, though, a truck passed too close and completely tore the door off the driver's side. Whoa. 
And the yuppie, he immediately grabs his cell phone, he dials 911, and within minutes, a policeman pulls up. But before the police officer even had a chance to ask any questions, the yuppie, he's screaming hysterically, he's going nuts. His Lexus, his Lexus, which he had just picked up the day before, was completely ruined and never be the same, no matter what the body shop did to him. And when the yuppie finally wound down from his ranting and raving, the officer just shook his head in disgust and disbelief and says, I can't believe how materialistic you yuppies are. You're so focused on your possessions, you don't even notice anything else. And the yuppie says, well, how could you say such a thing? And the cop replied, hey, listen, don't you know that your left arm is missing from the elbow down? It must have been torn off when the truck hit the door. To which the yuppie screamed, oh, my Rolex. (laughs) Wow. It ain't just guys. This middle-aged woman, she had this heart attack, right? She was taken to the hospital. And while she was on the operating table, she had one of those near-death experiences, right? And so she's standing before God, supposedly. And she asked him, hey, God, God, is this it? Is this my time? And God says, no, 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 no. No, you got another 43 years, two months, and eight days to live. So upon recovery, the woman decided to stay in the hospital. She, she had a facelift. She had liposuction done. She did one of those tummy tuck things. In fact, she even had somebody come in and change her hair color, figuring that, you know, she had so much more time to live. She might as well make the most of it and live for herself, Right? But when she got out of the hospital after that last operation, she crossed the street and she was killed by an ambulance coming back to the hospital. And so there she is back in front of God and she goes, God, what's going on? I thought you said I had another 40 some years. And God said, hey, sorry, I didn't recognize you. (laughs) That lady found out the harmful effects of living for yourself. It's all about what I can get. And that guy was oblivious to the harmful effects that his life of selfishness and materialism was having upon him. But folks, let's be honest. How many of us as Christians have been impacted by that sinful attitude of this world? Our focus every day when we get out of bed isn't, it's more, God, I'm looking for ways to give of this life in service to you. When we get out of bed, it's what? What can I get? It's about me, what I want, what I want to receive. It's not a life of giving. It's a life of receiving. And, and, and we, we, we make the same statements. And I'm talking even Christians. Why ain't I getting this? How come I have to do that? What do I got to drive this car? How come they get to drive that car? How come they get that job? How come we get that job? And then we bring that mentality into the church. How come you're preaching on that? I don't want to hear that. What are you preaching that? This is what I want to hear. What are you singing those songs? I don't like those songs. I don't like this song. This song. I don't want to hear. How come they get here? I want to hear. What do they do? I practiced that all week. No. <laughs> what, what is that? That's a life that's crying out. Not. It's more blessed to give than receive. And then even those statements, they're not only statements of it's the exact opposite. It's all about you receiving what you read. But when you make those statements, what's your? Are you full of joy? And you wonder why. Because you're doing the exact opposite of what Jesus said to have that joy. And so God sees this. He sees everything. How many guys realize that God's not deaf and he's not blind? He loves us as his children. And so he sees us going down the exact opposite route. We're focused on receiving instead of giving these lives away. And he wants us to experience that joy, not just for us, but to be a godly witness. So you know what he does? He brings some trials. And he brings some trials. In this wicked world system, and pretty soon you get sick and tired of, guess what? This wicked world system. You get the new car, what happens in a couple months? New car smell goes away. You get that new furniture, 
Somebody's going to come along and poke a fork in it. It's always going to happen. It ain't going to be new anymore. You get that new carpet, somebody just spilled Kool-Aid all over it. It's going to happen, right? Guess what? That's not where joy comes from. Joy comes, there's nothing more exhilarating than giving your life away for Jesus. There's nothing more exhilarating than taking the time and giving it away and, listen, leading somebody to Jesus Christ. Have you ever had that privilege? Did you know the stat is 95% of those who profess to be Christians in the church never once has led one soul to Christ? Christian focus. Come on, not one. Not 5%, 95%. You've never led somebody to Christ? What are you doing, walking around, acting like it's all about you receiving? Or are you listening to the words of Jesus himself, as Paul says, it's more blessed to give. So God will use trials to put a sour taste in our mouth of this wicked world system and say, you know what, that's not where it's at, to lead us back to a life of service so that we can experience that joy and he could do great things and do a great witness through us. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, let me give you just one more, and that's this one. Uh, the first fruit of the Spirit, what is it? The fruit of the Spirit is what? What's the first one? Love and joy. Boy, you put these two together, ooh-wee. I bet you people get saved right and left if we just do what the Scripture says. But God wants to make us more loving, right? Okay, and he defines his love, right? It's not the world's love. He, he, he draws that out here. Jesus speaking, of course, Matthew 5, 43 through 44 and 46. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who what? Persecute you. Why? Because hello, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? I love this. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Can I translate that? You just only love the people that love you back? That's no better than the IRS or the Biden administration. Woohoo! Even those people know that. But that's not biblical love. And that's what Jesus is calling on the carpet. He says, listen, the most effective way of getting rid of your enemies is not by hating them, it's by what? Loving them. And how many guys would like to have more friends and less enemies? You're nervous to raise your hand, aren't you? But that's a good thing to raise your hand on. Okay, but what's the problem? We don't do what God says to do to get rid of those enemies. You don't pound them down with hate. You don't do eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That's what the world does. You don't just love those who love you. So what? What's the big deal? You specifically love those who don't love you. Now that's God's love. You know why? Read the Bible. Romans 5. What were we considered before we got saved? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. What's the context? For us who were sinners, ungodly, and his enemies. God sent Jesus, and we weren't his friends, and he loved us. Aren't you glad? And guess what? You're a follower of Christ. Give that kind of love away and watch people get saved. And dare I say, I bet you that's what the world's waiting for. These two things, James is talking about joy. You couple this, and they're both a fruit of the what? Spirit, which means if you're a born-again Christian and dwelt with the Spirit, you have the potentiality, because this is not normal love. As he said, normal love is just loving those. That's just cheapskate. This is supernatural love. That the world, this is supernatural joy. And it draws lost people to Christ. And so unfortunately, we don't do that. And so you know what God does? He sends some trials. In fact, he doesn't just send trials. Oftentimes, here's what I've learned. He sends people in the form of trials. The code word is a stinker. And he'll send them again. And he'll send them again. And he'll send them again. And again. 
and again until we learn to give away Christ's love even for our enemies. You know, it's like that movie. Remember Bill Murray, that movie, uh, Groundhog Day? And what was the whole premise? He had to live the same day over and over again until what? Until he got it right. Have you learned that yet as a Christian? Do you really think it's by chance of the stinkers that God has placed around you? <laughs> I don't know about you, but God loves us enough, as Pastor Bobby prayed, uh, he's more concerned about our, not our feelings, but our character. And if you don't learn the lesson the first time, you know what you're going to do? You're going to take a lap. Oh, oh, you didn't learn? Take another lap. What's that? You didn't learn? Take another lap. What's that? You still did? Take another lap. He's more concerned about our character than our comfort. And so guess why he keeps having that person come across you? And it keeps just on your last nerve because he's trying to teach you something. Will you love now even those that are stinkers? Oh, and by the way, before you get too big of a head and get conceited and God's going to make you squish a chocolate chip cookie on your pants. Realize this. Think of right now three of your friends. And if they're not a stinker, then guess what? It's you. (laughs) Yeah. Have you learned that one? Right? You, me, we're somebody else's stinker. That's the way it works. Right? And and, and so, again, why why is he doing it? He's trying to torture us. No. He's trying to get us until we get it right. And I don't know about you, but I hate taking laps. But he'll send you on another lap until you get it right. But the reason why he'll put those people in your path is because he's trying to teach you to love like he loved you, like he loved me. Didn't somebody tell you about Jesus? Aren't you glad for that person? Were you always nice to that person when they tried to witness to you? Me, I was mean and nasty. In fact, the more that they witnessed to me, the worse I got. But they keep loving their enemy, and that love drove me up a wall. And the day I got saved by God's spirit all by myself, I knew exactly who to call upon because somebody loved a stinker called me. That's powerful. In the world we live in, is full of stinkers. And you want to make a difference? It's not by passing more laws. It's leading them to Christ. You want to stop the evil and the junk and the immorality and the stuff that's going on in our neighborhoods, our city, our country, around the world? It's leading them to Christ. Because when you have a new heart from Christ, you don't do those things anymore. He changes you from the inside out. And it starts when they get saved. But maybe that's what they're waiting to see. Will you love like Christ loved? And so God will send these people your way until you get it right. If the world is going to be pulled out of the pit of despair that they're in, It's not going to be talking about God's love. It's going to be demonstrating it. And we reach down even to our enemies and we pull them out. Like this guy. Watch this. This is cool. A man fell in a hole. He fell in a hole, and he couldn't get out. A traveler passed by. He told the man to meditate, to purify his mind, and when he reached Nirvana, all suffering would cease. The man did as he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared. He explained that the hole didn't exist, 
and neither, in fact, did the man. It was all an illusion. The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Another man looked down from above. He taught the man to pray five times a day facing east and to follow five important tenets. If he was faithful, one day, perhaps, the divine would set him free. The man prayed as best he could, but he was losing strength, and in the hole he remained. something different about him. He called down to the man in the hole and asked him if he wanted to be free. This man lowered himself into the earth, into the pit. He took hold of the man. dragged him into the light. And the man in the hole, who could not get himself out, was saved. That's just one of the proofs why the lie that has permeated even the church today, that all religions are basically the same and teach basically sense a lie from the pit of hell. Because Christianity alone does what you just saw. All other religions on the planet teach you that you are God, you can become God, or you got to somehow work your way to God. Only Christianity says, nope, you're doomed. You're stuck in a pit, and there's nothing you can do. But God loves you that he sent his son to go down and get you. Purely out of love. Not because you earned it. Because he has mercy upon you. Radically different. If we're going to show the world that we're true Christians, it's not by just, as the scripture says, they'll know we're his disciples by our love for one another. But that's amongst people who are what? Already saved. Here's the big love. Love the ones outside the church, specifically those that do not like you, and lead them to Christ. That's what Jesus did. Before we got saved, we weren't worthy. We weren't nice. We weren't kind. We were the stinkers. We were somebody else's stinker. We were a Christian stinker. But they kept loving us. And when that happens, man, people get saved. Let me give you just one example. True story, we'll close. This is in a coal mine in West Virginia. And one of the coal miners was down in the mine. He was a Christian, born-again Christian, constantly praying, witnessing to the other men. You know, like as Christians do, you, you witness to your workplace, your neighborhood, wherever God pops you. It's there for a reason, not just about a paycheck. Well, one of these men, the other miners got so sick and tired of this Christian, he said this, one of these days, if you don't shut your mouth about Jesus, I'm going to punch you out and you're going to know you've been hit. And the Christian said, if you want to get it over with right now, why don't you just do it? The guy got so angry, 
He punched the Christian in the face, knocked him out, messed his face up real bad. He was just in and out of basically unconsciousness. And then he got up, the Christian, he could hardly stand, he could hardly even speak, but he managed to say this back to the guy who punched him in the face, I'm still going to love you and I'm still going to pray for you. And that wicked miner went home with that thought and those words in his head. He couldn't sleep all night. And so the next morning, deep down in that mine underground, the two of them knelt together, and that man became a Christian. Now, yeah, listen. And from then on, the two of them began to win the rest of the miners to Christ. And how did it start? One Christian who specifically displayed Christ's love specifically to somebody who hated his guts and even did that. And what happened? That person got saved. Now you got two of you. They begin to witness like Christians are supposed to do, and then the rest got saved, and that got saved. And, and maybe that's what everybody's waiting for from us. Oh, they know you're a Christian. You've said it. But maybe they're waiting to see this two-bang combo. James talks about joy. Now we're talking about love. Both fruits of the Spirit, which you have the ability supernaturally to do if you're a born-again Christian. But maybe that's what they're waiting to see. Maybe that's why revival is not happening in your family, the ones you've been praying for for years. Maybe the, the neighbors, your coworkers. Maybe that's why there's not been a response because they're waiting to see. Is Jesus really real? Is his love real? Is, this, is the world to come better than this world? Maybe they're waiting to see that from us. And so if it takes a trial and God repeatedly sending stinkers our way again and again and again until we get it right so that souls might be saved, isn't that worth it? Isn't that awesome? It's fantastic. Which again, poikilos means poikilos. The 10th reason is to produce a powerful testimony. How many guys love hearing a, a great testimony? Right, somebody, some Christian going through something, it looks like they're going over the precipice, they're never coming back, they're doomed, and all of a sudden God comes in at the 11th hour, so to speak, and he provides for them, they come out, and they come out on top, and it's awesome, it's an amazing story, and you're going like, wow, that's really encouraging. We love testimonies. The problem is, we don't want to become one. But guess what? Get in line, because each one of us is going to be used of God to produce a testimony. But we're out of time, we'll get to that next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God out of love gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. 
Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes gone to court the gavel's been passed the judges said hey listen we all know you're guilty uh, you even admit you're guilty and uh, for your crimes you're going to not just jail you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty and did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon 
He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.